good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn in the Word of God tonight to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah 12 and verse number 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, uh, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, and both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Netophathai. Also from the house of Gilgal, and out of the fields of Geba, and Asmaveth, for the singers had builded them villages round about Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and purified the people, and the gates, and the wall. And then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the priests of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, and Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of uh, Mataniah, uh, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Asaph. And his brethren, Shemaiah, and Azariel, and Melaliah, and Gilalai, Maai, Nathanael, and Judah, Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe before them. And at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David, at the going up of the wall, above the house of David, even unto the water gate eastward. And the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them, and I after them. And the half of the people upon the wall, from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even unto the broad wall. And from above the gate of Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, and the tower of Hananiel, and the tower of Mia, even unto the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God. And I, and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Min, Mintamim, Micaiah, Elioniah, and Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, and Shemaiah, and Eliezer, and Uzai, and Johanan, and Micaiah, and Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang aloud with Jezariah, their overseer. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. We have just read uh, an account of some of the procedures that surrounded this time of the dedication of the wall uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, I take you back in your minds to the very opening uh, chapter and the burden that God placed upon Nehemiah's heart. He had a heart for the good of the people of God. Uh, And that heart was then transmitted into the rebuilding of the wall in a very short time. A time that wasn't simply a matter of the, uh, the prosperity of the nation civilly, economically, politically, but was marked by a revival. 
of true religion in the hearts of the people. And there are signs of that, and we saw those in our, in our recent studies. But when you come to the dedication, there is again one particular issue that stands out. And verse 43 is the key reference. In Nehemiah 12, 43, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. There are five references here to joy or to rejoicing. Are we as God's people, are we a joyful people? The people of God, they may know many reasons to be unhappy. The world around us is grossly wicked. And increasingly so. That indeed must cause the child of God to grieve and weep. The church is also, in a very broad sense, in a very sorry state. There is much carnality and much secularism that marks even the very people of God. And thus, we do want the heart like the psalmist. Where he would say that rivers of waters would flow down his eyes because the people keep not the law of God's. These things do cause us grief and sorrow, not to mention our own sin. We've noticed in studies in Romans chapter 8 that we're living in this world groaning. We're waiting for the adoption to the redemption of our bodies. We're, We're living in a state of longing for the life hereafter. And yet, in light of these genuine and realistic causes of sorrow... I would suggest that the emotion of sorrow should not be the prevailing emotion of the child of God. Simply because we live after the resurrection of Christ. You turn please to John chapter 15. And as we come to the end of our Lord's earthly ministry, he says some things that are encouragements to the disciples. He speaks in the upper room. And then he comes to pray. And in these words, you'll see uh, there is an issue of joy. Regarding the truth that being in Christ, you will bring forth fruit. In light of the truth that the Father loved uh, loved the Son, so the Son loves them. And then he says in verse number 11 of John 15, These things have I spoken unto you. That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The will of Christ for his people following his resurrection is that they would know joy. For a time they will know sorrow. He, He says that here. And then it will come and they will know joy in light of his glorious resurrection. You turn over to uh, chapter 17 and you will see there the you will see there the reference in prayer. John 17 and the verse number 13 where he says this. And now come I to thee. Of course Christ praying near to his father. And these things I speak in the world. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He who was a man of sorrows. Has the joy set before him. Whereby he endures the cross. The joy of redemption. Accomplished. In light of his death and resurrection, that joy that drives him to the cross is the joy that he then desires to be fulfilled in us. And so go back to chapter 16. Chapter 16. In the verse number 20, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament. 
but the world shall rejoice. And I believe that's a reference to Christ's death. There's a joy. Crucify him. Crucify him. And as the world rejoices, they weep and lament. But then it says, And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And so in light of Christ's resurrection, Paul can then say in Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We are commanded to be a joyful people. Even in the midst of our own sin and the sins of the world and the church, we ought to still rejoice. Even as we sorrow and groan, we are still to rejoice. We are, again, limited in our understanding of the complexity of our emotions. But for the child of God, there can be this coexistence of groaning in a fallen world while still rejoicing. And so here, we see people rejoicing. Here, the world around them is grossly wicked and pagan. Here, as we'll see in the last chapter, the people of Israel are far from perfect. And yet there is still this delightful occasion for joy. And I think there's much to learn in these verses for ourselves as a church here living in this particular age. And the first thing to note is the origination of their joy. Where does their joy come from? Verse number 43. It says there also that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. It is God that originates joy in our hearts. We are mistaken if we aim to produce joy through some man-made experience. Joy that is produced by man is fleeting. It's like the vapor. It comes for season and then blows away. God's joy is not fleeting. We are commanded to rejoice, but like all of God's commands, it can only be obeyed by God working in our hearts. That's always the case. Whatever God commands can only be obeyed by the Spirit of God working in us, whereby we are caused to walk in the ways of God's statutes. Now, of course, their joy is here produced, as we'll see, through the events that they've experienced. They are rejoicing in God's works. They are rejoicing in all that God has done for them. And as they contemplate God's works, then they rejoice. But there's more than this. This is not simply people admiring God's works and then responding with joy. No. You think of how many people live in our day and who hear the gospel preached and announced and yet they do not respond with joy. The response of joy is itself a work of the Spirit of God. It is God that caused them to rejoice. It is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. That ninefold description of the Spirit's work in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And thus, it is a Spirit working within us that this joy is indeed produced. Man-made joy is dangerous and deceptive. 
But if we are desiring to be a joyful people, we must begin here. It is God that must cause us to rejoice. And therefore we pray over this matter as we pray over any other commands. Lord, cause us to rejoice. Cause us to know this joy of the Lord in our lives. But this is, this joy that God has made in them, this joy does come in response to God's workings. So if the origination of their joy is indeed the work of God in their hearts, what is the occasion of their joy? Well, the narrative we read together tells of how Nehemiah brought Levites, musicians and singers in from outlying regions. That's what's happening here in the verse number 27. At the dedication, they sought the Levites out of all their places. Remember, they were scattered across the nation. They were living in various cities and towns and they're all brought together and they're brought together as a company to, to keep this dedication with gladness. There is then the organization of a procession around the walls. One group is led by Ezra, described in, in verse number 36, and Ezra described before them. He leads one group around the wall. The other group is led by Nehemiah. And the two groups proceed around the walls with music and song and thanksgiving, and then they converge at the temple. Verse 40. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God. So as the two companies of circumference the walls, they then come back and they converge in the temple. And that day, when they converge in the temple, is a day of great joy, the joy that was heard even afar off. Verse number 43. Note a couple of things about this, this time, this occasion. The people here are called thanksgivers. And when it comes to the description of these companies in various verses, that, that one English word doesn't work for the word in the original. Verse number 31, look what it says. Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, and I pointed two great companies of them that gave thanks. Now you will note that in your authorized version, uh, there is a number of words in italics there. Two great com- or two great thanks. If you omit all the italics, but that doesn't do justice either. The word, of course, is, is not two great thanks. It is a, again it's a noun describing this plural company, but they are those that are giving thanks. And the same is mentioned in verse number thirty-eight. And the other, note the italics company of them that gave thanks. Verse number 40, the same is used there. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks. And the English, it, just, it doesn't work in one word uh, to translate the, the Hebrew word here. The people are named after the action they carry out. They are thankful, hence they are thanksgivers. Now this is a very important link that we should note. There is a clear link between joy and thankfulness. Psalm 97, verse number 12, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Rejoice is linked with the giving of thanks at the remembrance of God's character and God's ways. Now please turn over now to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now here... Here, I confess, I am jumping forward somewhat. Uh, I want to make the point that I'm going to deal with in our next study. We're going to look in our next study at the subject particularly of singing. But what you see 
is that the joy that people are experiencing here in Nehemiah 12, that joy is expressed in song. A joyful people are a singing people. And you keep that connection in mind, and then you turn to Ephesians 5 and listen to the verse number 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's joy. There's Christian joy that is expressed in a singing people. If the people of God are not singing, then there's some issue in their heart regarding their Christian joy. But the singing coming in the heart of joy in verse 20 is then said, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness, joy, and then the singing that follows You've got the same over in Colossians chapter 3. These are the the two famous uh, references in the New Testament regarding the subject of singing. And here in verse number number 16 of Colossians 3, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so again, you see this matter of joy is expressed in, in song. There's a, a heart of grace that then comes out in, in song. But this time it's the previous verse, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And so we see in the Psalm 97 that thankfulness comes in light of remembrance. And here thankfulness comes in light of the word of Christ. Be ye thankful, and if you like, and to that end, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then your thankfulness will be seen in joy that will be seen in singing. See, thanksgiving does arise from a remembrance of God and his work. It is as the word of Christ dwells in us that we then sing with true joy. We are always thankful for something. There's a sense in which when we consider the matter of thankfulness, you say, well, what are you thankful for? Thankful for health. Thankful for for physical uh, provisions. Thankful for, again, spiritual provisions. We're we're thankful for God's good gifts. That thankfulness that comes to the Lord. But we're thankful for what God has done for us. And we see that particularly in the word of God. When there is a lack of joy, there's often a lack of remembrance of God's goodness. So why and what is it that has provoked thanksgiving in the people here in Nehemiah 12? Well, the details are, I believe, very, very clear. They are thankful for much more than the reconstruction of the walls. I think there is an interesting theme here in terms of the structure of Nehemiah and what we see in these two companies. There are two groups, two companies, one under Ezra and the other under Nehemiah. And interestingly, Nehemiah as a book is divided into two parts. The first seven chapters deal with the walls. And who's the prominent figure of those chapters? It is Nehemiah. Chapters 8 through to 12 uh, and really 12 verse 26 and before you come, the dedication, chapter 8 through 12 through 26, deals with this revival in Jerusalem. And the prominent figure there is Ezra, the scribe. He's the one that comes and brings the book. And so you see Nehemiah in the first half, you see Ezra in the second half. And now in the dedication of the walls, these two parts come together. 
They circle the walls built under Nehemiah. They converge at the temple over which Ezra had presided. And when the people march on the walls to the temple, they do so having placed the temple once again at the center of their thoughts. That was what we saw at the end of chapter 10. At the end of chapter 10, there was this desire again that they would not forsake the house of our gods. The walls are built. Ezra comes and brings the word. And the people are revived. And their hearts are drawn towards the temple. Thus, the walls are not simply a monument to the strength of Judah. There is an occasion, if you even the, uh, the ungodly person, they, they build some great structure. They, they like to open it and cut the red tape and have a, a pomp and ceremony. But there's much more to it here. We are looking at uh, God's ways. We're looking at God giving great joy. And thus, they are celebrating God's gift of these walls, which are an aid to the protection and the perpetuation of his name in the world. The walls are securing the worship of God in the temple. And that's why these groups are coming together under Ezra and under Nehemiah. And they converge at the temple. And the dedication of the walls is held at the temple. The temple is a display of the glory of God's name. As it in turn displays the glory of redemption upon the offering of sacrifice. And you will see verse number 30, 43. Also that day they offer great sacrifices. So the joy of the people. And note the woman and the children are also included in this rejoicing. This joy is based upon the restoration of temple services. And a consideration of the significance of the temple. This is vital to remind ourselves. This is an old Testament historical account that is stamped with Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in your circumstances. They change. There are happy times and there are sad times. But our joy is found in the Lord. It's found in the gospel. And the gospel and our God, they are unchangeable. They never, ever change. And thus, if our joy is in the Lord, then that joy is perpetual and consistent all the way through to eternity to come. And so the people here, their joy is indeed in the Lord. Their joy is found in a consideration of sacrifice, a consideration of the coming Messiah, a consideration of God's satisfaction with the sacrifice of another. And they come and they mark these walls but the walls that are closely associated with the work of God in the temple. And so the people of God, they will rejoice when the work of Christ is central and exalted. There are very significant lessons here. God is doing something in these people. We will see, chapter 13, that they are not perfect, that they still have issues to deal with. But God at this time has been pleased to put a breath of his spirit through the people. And we have noticed that. But what happens? Give us the book. There's a desire for the word of God. That's a mark of revival. There's a deep sorrow for sin. That's a mark of revival. There's a practice of prayer. That's a mark of revival. There is repentance and reformation. That's a mark of revival. 
But so is joy in the people of God. When you read the accounts of revival in different parts of the world, you will read of a profound sorrow and conviction of sin. But you will also read of great seasons of great joy as the people delight as they weep for joy under the truth of the gospel. And it's as the word of Christ and the gospel is preached in revival that there is then this great rejoicing and joy. So as we contemplate our own spiritual lives individually and the church, then there is the need to ask ourselves certain questions regarding a lack of joy. So what are the factors? Well, I suspect there must have been a lack and a neglect of the word of God. We know that to be true. In a broad sense, the word of God has been pushed to the side in, in many of our churches. Singing has been looked upon as the means to produce joy. Whereas in the word of God, the word of God produces joy that is then expressed in singing. It is in remembrance of God's holiness that the people rejoice and give thanks in Psalm 97. It is as the word of Christ dwells richly that they are then thankful and sing to one another. But when the word of God is valued, there still may be a lack of joy. And the lack of joy can be found when there's a lack of gospel emphasis. And so as a church, it is vital that we continually come back to the word of Christ, that that would dwell in us richly. The people here, their hearts are at the temple. They're focusing upon truth. So it's vital that our core message is continually and consistently gospel, exalting Christ and his person and his work. And yet... There can be places where the word of God is not neglected and the gospel is emphasized and yet there is still a lack of joy. And could it be in those times that there is a lack of thanksgiving? We've got to be diligent in this. Be ye thankful is a command in the word of God. I don't feel like being thankful. It doesn't really matter how you feel. I suggest to you, if you are thankful, you will suddenly feel thankful. Get to the temple. Get to Christ. Meditate upon Christ. And as you get to Christ, may that then produce a thankful joy in our souls. For it is indeed the command of God, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.